right here we are welcome back welcome back you know this is you know what this is that i do i know what, what this is what is this it? this is science in between and it and, is science in between but this is scott you're scott and and i'm ollie and and you're saying that this episode is the penultimate that's exactly what i was gonna say <laughs> the penult- penultimate People Pen- people don't know what that word means. I know they they, they think they it's, think it's even bigger than ultimate. Yeah, but it's penultimate. It's almost ultimate. It's almost. <laughs> You're almost there. Yeah, this it's is a, like this is the second to last episode of season two. Yep. Yeah, yeah. and it's gonna if, be a great one. So if, buckle up. Yeah, if they're defined by fifty two weeks, if that's the you know if it, if we're gonna use the you know Earth calendar as a basis based earth-based calendar anthropocentric view of the universe right then 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 yes this is episode 51 of season two and next episode will be 52 which means which two years two years two years of this i know two years of this wow let's let's not pat ourselves on the back too much no no what should we be doing we should be talking about our, our, our topic for the day. That's a better idea. I like that. <laughs> All right. All right. So today, today, Ali and I are going to talk about right answers. Um, and the context for this is, so there, well, the deep context for this is, is that one of the things that always comes up when we engage in um, helping people to understand ambitious science teaching is somebody always says, yeah, this sounds awesome. I'm really interested in this. But here's the thing. When do you tell the kids the right answers? Because, you know, we don't want them leaving, yeah. leaving our class with misconceptions. So you got to, like, when do you do that? Do you do when that do we correct things? things? When, yeah, when, when do we get to the point where we say, no, 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 here's the right answer? Um, so that has always burdened me as a, as a teacher educator because – um, I, I, I haven't often had good answers for that. So I've been struggling for the last couple of years to figure out that so question. You, what you're saying is you didn't have the right answer. That's correct. Right. That was correct. Yeah, that was correct. Answer <laughs> nice. Um, yeah. So, so I have been working around some ideas, um, that I've been testing out in some professional development contexts over the summer around right answers in science and are there right answers in science? And, um, so that's what we're going to talk about today. We're going to talk about that because it's a fundamental um, shift, epistemological shift. Uh, I love it. I go. love it. I yeah. love it. We should have ding. a little bell. Ding, ding, ding. Yeah. Winner. Yeah. Uh, you, you get a stuffed animal or whatever they were shooting. The, no, something. The thing. For, something. Something. It's just so, uh, like a drop, we just have a, a noise that goes. Yeah. Epistemological. Epistemological. Logical. 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 So it, but it is um, for me. It is about a shift from understanding science as um, as a body of knowledge and a set of quote unquote facts to science as a set of practices and a process that's engaged in, hopefully by students. Um, and that the body of knowledge is the product of that. And it's not that I think science is not a thing, we, you know, like science knowledge is not something we should care about. But um, but we got to talk about this whole right answer thing and and what the consequences are of having people learn science that way 
as a set of right answers. And we've referred to this in some ways sure. on many episodes in the past. We're just going to sort of concentrate it all in one show. Yeah. And I think maybe it'd be helpful for us to talk a little bit about how we're going to set up this because you've done, done this uh, professional development and we've been talking about doing it on a larger scale with folks around around the state around right. this because we're as if you've been with us for multiple episodes you know we were charged we're one of the teams that are uh, working with um you know getting people prepared for uh the new science standards in the state which you know right. they're only you know 10 years late or whatever right? <laughs> yeah they're 20 years old and 10 years late so right there you go so there you go but um, the, the states adopted them and we're, we're going to be working with different partners around the state. There are other teams that are doing other things, but, um, we have uh, a dedicated population that we're working with. And we, uh, just met recently for our first, um, for planning for our first, um, set of sessions that are coming up at the end of September. Right. And, and so one of the things we wanted to frame it around was, you know, really get them to go through an ambitious science teaching type of lesson like kind of unit to kind of get in and what that involves is you know sharing some sort of phenomenon which mm-hmm. you know we could talk about the two that are the ones we're discussing yeah and and then using that to to build explanations and right. then um, that's and that's the core of ambitious science teaching. right right because so. it's, it's all ex- explanation driven and but that explanation are are built upon evidence and built upon observations and data and and that's the 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 i think from your point of view um the critical part of of this right answer question yeah right Not- yeah so i mean right exactly the the way that i've started these sessions that i've been doing is coming right out of the gate and and essentially asking folks to say whether they think science has right answers or not are there right answers in science and then I force them into a binary. I say, you can't say, yeah, sometimes or a little bit or this, either say yes or no. Either there are right answers or there aren't right answers. And then from that to say, okay, well, if you say there are right answers, then I want you to give me an example of what you think is a right answer. And then um, and then if you don't think science has right answers, then I want you to think a little bit about what it is that we teach in science and what are those things then if they're not right answers what are they or correct answers actually is the the word i've been trying to use now because right i don't know why i don't like right as much but correct seems more school-based sure like things are correct so anyway that's that's where we start is are there right answers and are there not right answers and uh and and folks struggle with this understandably um because i'm sure what they want to do is you know base it on like i don't know like data like oh the the age of the you know the earth is this or you know classifications of animals or or something that and those are all just you know constructs right i mean they're all yeah well i mean and, and ultimately that's that's the point of this is to to get them to understand that all of this stuff is is constructed um and that what really we have in science is explanations and so explanations are based on evidence and we talk a lot about that but but this idea that like there so so let me give you an example so the most common construct like when when we get to this cuz some people well okay the other the other thing people do is they try to treat it like a pedagogical exercise and figure that it's a trick question right and that 
the the answer that I want is no. And so they 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 try to like answer no because they want to be able to be you know, not you be know, fooled. To please Scott. Well, yeah, and to not be fooled, not to get, you know, because right. it's a trick question. So, but in in both of the PDs that I've done, it's about a 50-50 split in terms of people who think they're right answers and don't think they're right answers. Um which I think is interesting. Um, so there's two things I I I I, I want to follow up with is one what what are the one what are the answers that most of them are saying for the yes there are correct answers yeah. and then two second question which I think is the more most critical is what do you do as the facilitator at this moment because that to me yeah. is interesting yeah uh, yeah so so. What they do, and actually, there is going to be a video of this because the IU recorded it, so it'll be up somewhere available uh, of this session. Um, Did it become like a brawl where there are people fighting? Like, yeah, I mean, just throwing- just a yeah, just a couple. But I've been you know going to MMA, and I sure. I, I, I took them you know I took them down. Yeah, as as needed. But you got a bad back, so you know. That's true. I mean, so they, you got to be they, careful. You got to be careful there, brother. <laughs> Gentle. <laughs> Be gentle with the old man. <laughs> so, uh, well, the interesting thing is that in in both cases so far, I've gotten a similar set of answers for the candidate correct answers. Right? They're almost always almost always somebody says Newton's three laws, um, and then the other one that we always get is, or I've I keep consistently get is the law of gravitation, like gravity. Sure. Um, and then this time I got everything is made of matter. Um, so, but, but what I, you know, what I then do is say, okay, so here are candidate three answers. Um, are they, are any of these observable? Can we observe the law of gravitation? And they say, well, yeah, you know, like we can drop a pencil off the table. And I said, yeah, you can do that, but that's, that's just a thing that happens. That's not the law of gravitation. The law of gravitation ex- is an explanation for why the pencil behaves that way. but the pencil falling would happen whether the law of gravitation existed or not. It's independent of that. So the law of gravitation is not a real itself. Yeah. Yeah. It's not a thing in itself. It's an explanation of a thing. Right. And then process. Right. And the thing I like about Newton's three laws in particular is I'm like, well, so here's the thing about Newton's three laws. Um, yeah, they're they're super great, but they're not right. And how do we know they're not right? Well, because we have quantum mechanics because right. Newton's three laws didn't apply in, in a whole whole class of our universe. And therefore, we had to think up this other explanation for how things behave. So so when we think about right answers and wrong answers, we're we're on a fool's errand in science. Now, again, what I what I try to then say is, look. Uh, that doesn't mean these things aren't useful, powerful, productive tools. They're fantastic. And the reason that things like Newton's three laws hang around is because they continue to be useful. They continue to be predictive. They continue to... In our um, frame of reference. Yeah. They continue to stand up to the evidence and therefore the explanation stays around um, and it's robust and people use it, right? But... But I think the but, frame of reference part is the important part because, you know, it's it's great for our everyday type of thing. Like what we're, you know, driving a car down the street, riding the bus, that kind of stuff. Newton's laws right. work great, you yeah. know, but you start to leave that frame of reference and look at a different frame of reference, then that they fall, they fall apart. Yeah. And and that's, a, I think the important part is that 
know, like you talk about quantum mechanics and you talk about, you know, relativity, mm -hmm. that stuff is like important, you yeah. know, when you start to leave, you know, earthbound stuff, when you start to, exactly. and I'm, I'm saying it because I, I had a conversation with a student just recently. I, I, he was, he's in my, my community band and I was mm -hmm. talking to him on our, our way out and I'm like, Oh, you know, wh what are you studying? And he's studying um, space engineering. Hmm. Which is pretty okay. cool. And yeah. I said, Oh, as a physics major, and he goes, Oh, I had to take uh, a class on special relativity and I hated it. And I go, But it's important. <laughs> he goes, especially, especially for him. Yeah. Especially for him, right? Because, you know, you put a satellite in, so in, in, you know, without relativity, you know, satellites are like going to be way off. Like the, the right because it's just moving fast enough that you have to correct for it. So you have to correct because Newton's laws and laws of motion and all that stuff are just they're great for you know speeds of the things that are happening on this earth. Sure. And that's a, but I think that's a perfect example of like you know whenever we confront that to you know changing the frame of reference, that explanation no longer works. Yeah, you know? yeah, I agree a hundred percent, and that's it's. I mean, that's for me, the cool thing is to say, like, the importance of this for me and for science teaching is that it reframes everything that you do with kids, right? Because now a kid's idea is not right or wrong. A kid's idea is just somewhere on a continuum, right? From naive to more robust and productive. And your job is to move them along by giving them evidence, by helping them, you know, work through their own ideas and improve them. Right. So it's, and, and, uh, you know, giving them the right answer. I mean, this is a thing we've known for years, right? Like just telling kids the right answer is not a very effective pedagogy. It doesn't work very well. So when we say to kids like, okay, here are Newton's laws, just remember them and you'll, you'll understand how the world works. It's like, well, mm, turns out um, doesn't work very well because they don't understand what they are. So, and, you know, I use the modulation of Traxeline as a way to talk right. about that in the, in the, um, which for we those of you who don't know, it's a classic, but. We spent an episode on that, like, I don't know, maybe about 10 or 15 episodes ago. Yeah. Talking about. Yeah. Montulation. Mountulating tracks link. Yeah. It's a new form of Zionter. I don't know if you knew that or not. I knew that. I knew yeah. that. I, yeah. It's Montulating Sarastana. <laughs> um, but, so what, uh, I, I want to cycle back to, yeah. so what do you do, you know, when you have this group? So you have this, you know, two groups of people, one yeah. who are saying, yeah, there are correct answers. And, and the other group that says, no, nah, there's no correct answers. What do you do? Because I think this is like, this is demonstrating the thing, right? Yeah. This is demonstrating the thing you want to happen in your classroom. Right. Right. Yeah. I mean, well, I mean, I think I've mostly described it, but I think what, what I do is I ask them to think about like examples of things that are not explanations. And of course there, there is no such thing in science. Right. So, right. so they can, they can name observable things and that's super interesting. And that starts to get us to what's the difference between a phenomenon and an explanation, right? Like a yeah. phenomenon is observable by all of us. So we can agree on something's happening, um, but that's different than the explanation. And the explanation is what we think of as the science, but, um, and it is the science, but it's not the, it's not right. And that's the, that's the tricky thing is, um, and, and, you know, for me, well, we, we'll probably so get what's, to this, what's a but... better way of framing it then if, if if correct isn't the 
So how do we frame this for students and how do we frame it for teachers? Because there is, you know, I don't want to say an accepted, but there is based on our best evidence and understanding right now, there are better explanations than others. Right. So what, so what I, how I differentiated it was I said, look, science is the practice. I'm going to read this because it's because I tried to word it specifically. So science is the practice of developing evidence-based explanations of phenomena in the natural world. So that's science as a practice. And then science results in, and this is how I try to differentiate, science results in explanations currently supported by a consensus of scientists based on the preponderance of evidence. So for me, that distinction is really important, right? Because what it says is science is a is a press a process, it's a practice, it's a thing we do in the world to help us better understand things. And it results in us developing explanations, but it also results in us constantly pushing on those explanations to make them better. Um, and the way that we know that they're better is because a consensus of scientists agree that they're better based on the evidence that we currently have. Like that's what better means. Now, if I was doing this with, um, you know, if I was doing this with my pre-service teachers later on, we'd introduce the idea of like progressive discourse, which are like, what's, what are the norms look like in a classroom that lead to this kind of thing? But for me, the, the thing that I like about that is the consensus of scientists, because that's what you think about then in a sci- in your science classroom. Like, how do we decide what our current explanation is? Well, we decide by a consensus of the people that are present in the class. They're the they're the scientists. They make a consensus decision about what they think is the best explanation based on the evidence that we have to hand, which is the evidence that we have a, as a class have collected thus far, and then we decide what evidence we need to continue to collect. Now. I want to be clear that I make it sound much more open than it actually is, right? I mean, these units are planned and the, and the evidence, the activities that kids engage in to gather this evidence are pre-planned. Um, that said, because the phenomenon have been chosen and we and the teacher is actually leading the class, um, the ideas that kids come up with and the kind of evidence that they need to work with is pretty consistent over time. You don't need to reinvent the wheel every time because some kid just, has it. Yeah, some yeah. kid's not going to come up with something that other ones didn't. There's like tend to be the right. same sort of. You know, and and the ones of- that are really far outliers fall apart pretty quickly under scrutiny, right? So, you know, other kids will say, well, that doesn't make any sense because of this, that, or this. And then that thing's out the window and you don't have to right. worry about testing it. So, um, yeah. So I don't know. Does that help? No, it does. I, I just, you know, what I worry about is, okay, we teach, we're teaching kids that this thing is, is happening with science. And that's a great thing because I think it gives them a better representation of what science does and what science is all about. And it's not just a, the collection of information. Um, and it also, you know, gives this idea that, you know, science is tentative. It's social, you know, mm-hmm. that these are things that, um, you know, there's lots of conversations and discussions and they're, it's based on evidence. But my, my, my other challenge with that, though, is, you know, how that is. I, I think about the societal implications, mm. right? And, yeah. if, and, and how, you know, we just went through probably, uh, you know, a two-year period in which science was so critical. Yeah. Like, and, and that. 
we had, you know, a consensus of scientists, a consensus of doctors, a consensus of people who believed, you know, certain things about like vaccines and climate and all these things. And, but the certain factions of our population are holding up the people who are not part of the consensus. Right. And, but I think, you know, this goes back to, uh, I think you're absolutely right. And we've, we've definitely talked about this multiple times on the show, Mm -hmm. but, but for me, that is exactly the reason why this is the important way to teach science, because it, it says, look, these aren't right answers, right? But it doesn't say that anything then is okay to be right. What it says is, well, what we how we decide is by a consensus of people, right thinking, thoughtful people who have looked at the evidence and have talked to each other and agree. Right thinking is the wrong way to say it. But the the process like this, the folks that are engaged in that. And the reason that's important is because, you know, to your point, um, yeah, there's things the problem with our current the current thinking for some people around things like, say, climate change or vaccines is they think that because our answer is changing or quote unquote, just a model, that means that it's not true because they have this idea that science is either right or wrong. And they have that idea because we teach it to them and because they may have a propensity to believing that that's the way the world works for other reasons. But the point is like, it, it actually does us a disservice as, as a field, as science for people to have the notion that there are right and wrong answers in science because they use it against us to say, well, this whole climate change thing is just a model. Like it's, you you don't really know that we're doing this. And, and the answer sometimes that scientists give is, yeah, you're right. We don't know. We can't prove that this is true because science doesn't prove things are true. It only disproves them. So you're right. We can't prove that this is true. That said, there's a huge number of people who've investigated this deeply and collected lots of evidence, and all of that supports this as an explanation. Is that explanation right? Undoubtedly, no. But is it mostly right? Undoubtedly, yes. So so the the question isn't like right and wrong. The question is, are we moving towards something that is more right, more productive, more useful in understanding the way the world works? All right. I'm going to push on this, all right, because I think Please. it's important. So, but we, we have as, as folks in science, we have a long history of disruption mm-hmm. based on the tools and technologies that we bring to bear because they're, they're constantly changing. And every time we have like some new technology, it can be disruptive mm-hmm. in the evidence we collect and how we interpret that evidence. So mm-hmm. I'll give you a couple examples. Like I think Galileo is probably the, you know, the best example, right? Mm-hmm. He comes out with this, you know, telescope. He's charting the moons of Jupiter and he's like, hold on. Thing, things aren't, things aren't right here. Now he was not part of the consensus. In fact, right. I mean, he was like excommunicated from the church. He was, right. you know, kicked out and, you know, you know, that, and pretty much, but he was, he was right. Right. Mm-hmm. And so based on that definition, what do we do with people like the Galileos? Well, I mean, first of all, Galileo wasn't right. He just had a better explanation. Better okay. For, for, well, and, and he brought new evidence to bear. Sure. Right. right. So he, he had new evidence. So I think, I think what you have to do is 
I think the problem with that story as a as a sort of counter narrative in science is it doesn't take the long view, right? Which is to say, sure. look at us now. Like yeah. uh, the the current explanation we have for the way the universe operates is is based largely on on a shift that that Galileo was important in making happen, and the reason we right. still talk about him is exactly for that reason. So there's lots of people like the idea that just because you're a crank and you disagree with everybody, it means that you're Galileo. That's, that's the problem with that story. It's lots of, there are lots of cranks out there who have a different alternative view, um, mostly that aren't supported by the evidence. And their, their view is not ever going to be proven better or more robust or more productive, right? Because it's wrong. It's it's based on misunderstandings and bad reasoning around the evidence that we currently have. And the reason we know that, at least in part, is because of because there's lots of other people doing this work. Now, paradigmatic change, like Kuhn described, which is what you're talking about, like massive yep. shifts from, you know, from uh, Earth-centric to heliocentric universe, you know, like those kinds of shifts, they take decades if not centuries like yeah. you can you can certainly look at quantum mechanics right like albert einstein didn't believe in quantum mechanics he's like god doesn't play dice with the universe so and he was a pretty smart guy as smart guys a little bit, go a little bit <laughs> so i do think like this idea that like just because you're a crank you're right that's problematic but what i do think what galileo did is he actually brought to bear new evidence, evidence that right. other people had to grapple with. It's like, wait a minute, there is a celestial object that has other celestial objects orbiting it. How we, how do we deal with that in our magic universe? And other scientists had to then like grapple with that. Well, and, and they tried, right. They, they tried all these elaborate schemes for how there were all right. these different rings to, and discs. To fit it into their paradigm. And, yeah. Uh, like, and eventually okay. those things collapse under their own weight because they can't they can't hold up because this the you know it's the Gordian knot the solution is always usually simpler um and once the simpler explanation is found then it's like oh actually it turns out that this is just the fact that the earth isn't isn't the center and something right. else is so yeah i don't know i don't know if that no. answers your your question or not no, it does. I mean, more than anything, I just want to be able to play out the conversations that, that sure. we could, could potentially come up in professional development or in a classroom with a student or with a, you know, a colleague, you know, because either the way that, um, you know, people are going to, you know, approach this, this is the way that, you know, our students are going to, our teachers are going to um, approach it or administrators, you know, not yeah. that they're going to be dropping Galileo. I suspect that, you know, our students may drop Galileo in the conversation. Who knows? Maybe. But, who knows? But I mean, we, there is a long history of folks in science who that aren't necessarily cranks, but who bring new evidence to bear because our tools are constantly changing. I mean, these could be, you know, Millikan and and you know, with sure, the, you know, like he finds the electron. Like it's like, hold on, we don't even know what that thing is. You know, right. But we also like from Rutherford. Right? He's the guy who's on the electron. Right. Up. But but we also don't um, we don't remember all the people who brought yeah. not very good evidence <laughs> yeah. or bad explanations. Right. We don't call Joe. their names up and they're saying, <laughs> yeah. oh, yeah, you remember Sven, Sven Hansen back in you know 1842 and his like experiments with. I don't know, whatever he experimented with, throwing rocks. And yeah. and it turns out that he said, no, gravity is a whole different thing. And it works by um, mutual attraction of rocks. 
I don't know. Wow. Yeah, nice work. I just yeah. came that up. Thanks. Sven, wow. Sven, Sven. <laughs> Sven. Yeah. No, nobody talks, but, but that's why right. they don't talk about them. Right. Because, because they're the, either the evidence they, that they brought turned out not to be evidence or the evidence was explained in a different way that fit with, with our understanding. It doesn't mean we don't have big shifts in science, but the big shifts in science, even those happen slowly, right? I mean, right. slowly by in terms of like decades, usually. So relativity with Einstein, like it's not like he wrote that paper and was like, yep, that's right. He's smart, dude. Right. Let's change everything about physics now because some uh, patent clerk in Switzerland wrote a thing about trains and clocks. Like, bleh. Um, <laughs> So. Just dismissed it right there. Trains o'clock. Yeah, well, I mean, I'm sure there were plenty of people who said sure. that. Oh, absolutely. Who were like, oh no, what is this nonsense? So, um, so what had to happen is other scientists had to test those ideas. They had to collect data, and actually, there wasn't like when was it that they finally found evidence of of relativity? It was I don't know, twenty, thirty years after he first published the paper that they found conclusive evidence, you know, in a solar eclipse of 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 um relativity so yeah. you know yeah so when did his ideas get proven well never it turns out they just haven't been disproven yet now we've found more and more evidence to support his his explanation but that does still doesn't make it right and, there, um, and there's nothing to say that down the road there's not going to be some some other evidence that brought to bear that we improve it. We change it. But, you know, we know this is the case and we certainly right. hope. Right. Like right, right. now, it, it on some level, it's astonishing how little we know about the world. Like if you think even about how little we know about how our bodies work. Right. Like we have all these notions that but but in 50 years, people are going to look back and who knows what they're going to say. And, about the and they're going to they're practicing, right. but they're going to laugh. They're like, like, can you they believe used to, they used to think this? You they know? used to cut people open to fix stuff inside them. What a crazy notion that is. Now we've got magic. Or, well, uh, well, here, that, mag that's magic. this is interesting because, you know, I've I've been, you know, trying to eat more healthily. Right. Be, oh, with yes. and and one of the things I, I, I've been thinking about is, OK, like, what's the best breakfast for a person to eat? Mm -hmm. OK. And like, like have, a, like have, a you, have you fallen on something? No, I haven't because, you know, you go and actually just Google oh. that, right? Just Google that. Like, what is the best breakfast to eat? Right. I'll just, let's just narrow it down even better. Like, what is better, having two eggs for breakfast or having oatmeal for breakfast? Mm -hmm. That, just having it, narrowing that, the entire field down to those two options. I, options there is no consensus yeah because because right. it's like well if you're talking about hypoglycemia then you're going to be focusing on one thing and if you're going right. to be talking about heart issues then you're going to be talking about another it's like right. well who the heck knows yeah you no know? and it's you like talk about intestinal health or you want right. to talk about yeah right are you going to get sleepy in the afternoon like those are right yeah like it's like well what what metric do you want to use yeah for healthy right and yeah no i mean this is no this is a thing, right? That's notorious in, in, uh, and maybe when we get to Joyce, I'll even recommend a podcast about this, but especially in nutrition based stuff or health based stuff in general, like you can always find like, well, are blueberries good for you or bad for you? Is coffee good for you or bad for you? Is red wine good for you or bad for you? Well, it turns out the answer is yep. 
and nope. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so, you know, like sometimes yes, sometimes no. Is it good? Well, it's good in moderation. Well, what does that mean? Like, so, you know, and even beyond that, like some of this stuff, like in learning, like one of the things that I think is, is completely bananas that we're still trying to do. And I don't under, really understand why um, is to link like biological via scan things to, um, so we're going to scan your brain and then we're going to use that to figure out something about the way you think or the way that you um, like understand the world. And to me that, that makes so little sense. I can't even like get my head around it, but, um, but the, but we clearly don't know how the brain works, right? The brain is a very right. complicated, uh, organ and it's only one organ in our body. And, uh, and all the other ones are complicated too. And, and as we understand more about more about medical science, we increasingly understand how complicated it is and how interconnected and how gut health, of course, being the big thing right now is connected to sure. everything. And it, but in 10 years, nobody will care about gut health. It'll be some new thing that, that is the thing that is central to how we understand how the body works. So, um, and, and again, that's not to dismiss these things. It's not to say gut health is unimportant and we should forget about it. It's that, you know, as as we discover new things, what happens is that the popular media puts out a piece about it that says, that is, now the yeah. thing is you need drink to drink red wine. Right. Don't drink red wine. Eat yes. chocolate. Don't eat chocolate. Right. Have have probiotics, but don't eat probiotics. Have yogurt, but don't have yogurt that has dairy in it because that's bad for you. So have yogurt that's made from coconuts. And uh, it's like, come on, man. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think that's the 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 challenge with that is that the the quote unquote science there is is constantly changing, right? You know, and yeah. and so we don't know as consumers what to do with that, you yeah. know, but I think that rather than just looking at the headlines, we have to teach people to, you know, examine the evidence and the conclusions right. rather than just looking at, and the way we arm our students and our future consumers to do that is by teaching them the process yeah. of examining evidence and examining explanations. Right. And I think the important thing for me is that, and and I ha I have this when we're running these PDs too is that you know te there's always this question about teaching, right? So when do I teach them something? Yeah. And and my question always is, what do you mean by teaching? Right? Do you mean you're going to tell them an answer? Um, and and the same thing comes up for me around this around cri critical thinking or whatever. It's like, well, we're going to have a day when we look at some social media stuff and then we learn about how to be critical about social media. It's like, okay. Well, that's unlikely to actually change how kids think about social media. But if you have a year-long class in science where the whole point of every day of class is we have a current explanation for this thing and we're trying to make it better by collecting evidence, but we never fully explain it because there's parts that we still don't understand. But look how much we've improved our explanation, how we better understand this thing. Then it's you're not teaching them what it means to think that way. They are just thinking that way because that's the right. way the class works and so it gets baked in it becomes you know a cognitive gadget if you like right it becomes a way of operating in the world it's how they do stuff it's not some little trick that you've taught them about social media like how do you decide if this is a reliable source well google the source and find you know it's like that's stupid 
to me. It's like, that's not productive. That's not really teaching them anything because you're walking them through it. You're saying, here's how you do the thing. And, and it, that's not it. To, to learn this stuff, you have to do the thing. And for us, science it, it is the thing. And the way that the thing happens is you have to I learn do how it. to explain stuff. Yeah, you have right. to explain stuff. And if you're not explaining stuff and then seeing if your explanations hold up and then changing your explanations if they don't, then you're not really doing science. You're just memorizing a bunch of nonsense. Yeah, I, I use that teaching word and I don't often mean just like direct instruction lecture. I know you don't. I Yeah, okay. I just wanted to make sure that. And I think the other part, for me, the, you know, the big takeaway from this style of teaching or this, you know, this pedagogy is we're teaching them how to think, not what to think. Yeah, right. And and that's why, like, for me, I, I try to even avoid teaching. I mean, I heard you doing it there too. Like pedagogy is a, a word that I use, but I also talk right. about designing learning environments, right? Because that takes the teacher, it decenters the teacher even more to say like, look, your job isn't to teach. Your job is to design a learning environment where students are learning science. And, and you're, you're, you have a role there because you're the teacher um, and you should be doing stuff. But if you think about your job as teaching, it, just that word is so deeply ingrained in in how we think about the world. You know, this is the apprenticeship of observation thing that we talk about. Right. Like when I say teaching to the average person, they think of talking, lecturing, explaining to others. I'm good at explaining stuff to people. That's why I'm a good teacher. Like, well, okay, maybe. I mean, I'm really good at explaining stuff, Ollie. I explain stuff really well. That doesn't mean that that's what I should be doing. I, 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 I explain stuff too much and I'm working on that. That's something, uh, that's a growth opportunity for me, especially in teaching. Maybe education. you should have a podcast. You're yeah. so good at explaining where, where stuff. I explain stuff <laughs> and then you explain it back to me. Yes. So and I just it, said, so it's right. I'm here for comic relief. <laughs> no, you're here. You're here to, t you're here to give me the right explanation. Oh, all right. You, you have the correct answers. I'm just here to, to be the, the foil, to be the, the, the shakes fist at cloud guy. Well, you are that. I think we both have that in yeah, us. We, we yeah. do. Yeah. yeah. All right. So have we landed on a correct answer here? Yeah. I mean, I think so. I want to say I want to say two two things briefly. I mean, the 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 other reason I really like this, and I think I mentioned this, but I I can't emphasize this enough, is we talk about um, you know, I talk a lot about difference between sociocultural and cognitive perspectives on learning. And and Cognitive perspectives have right have a much more right wrongy context to them. They they see the world much more as right and wrong, and 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 sociocultural theories don't um, in the same way. They recognize that all this is sort of a, a cultural construct, and that that doesn't mean I, there aren't better and worse ideas, especially when it comes to science. But there aren't right and wrong answers. But this the thing that's that most. I'm trying to get rid of and that I've been trying to get rid of for 20 years is this idea of a misconception and people have that so ground into them right. that it's very hard to have conversations with people and have them not say, well, but aren't kids going to have misconceptions? And so for me, I fought that directly for years. And then this is my sort of roundabout way of fighting it, which is to say, there's no such thing as a misconception. Like when you say misconception, 
And, and what, what I did in the PD is I have them write their own explanation for a thing, a phenomenon. In this case, we, we don't have to get into the phenomenon today because yeah. we're running out of time. But I had them explain like this happy, sad ball. You drop two balls, one bounces, one doesn't. Um, and they spend just 10 minutes, 15 minutes doing this. But at the end of that, I say, so is what you wrote, is it right? Is it wrong? Like, what is it? And, and of course, their answer is, well it's not really either of those things. It's not wrong because it's got right stuff in it, but it's not right because it's not, it doesn't fully explain the thing that we're trying to explain. So it's somewhere in the middle. And I say, yeah. So would we call that a misconception? And when we do, what does that do? And what it does is it places you in a deficit position. It says your idea is a miss as in bad conception. And and that's not what we want. We want kids to say, oh, this is my idea. It's okay, but it's not good enough yet. And I want to make it better. But if you tell them it's a misconception, all you've done is judge them. You, ha- you haven't helped them understand what's important. And then if you just tell them the right answer, the best that they can do is memorize it and repeat it back to you, which doesn't, doesn't learn them anything. They don't, they don't learn anything from that. So why do you think the, the misconception terminology and that misconception mindset is so pervasive? I mean, do you think it's because, you know, I mean, historically there was this like really big, I mean, conceptual change was a, you know, I mean, a whole history of science teachers have been taught, you and I included. Yeah, for sure. um, Have been taught around this perspective, right? This sort of way of viewing learning. And do you think that's why it's so pervasive that still that we have those, you know, folks still working out in the field? Or do you think there's some other reason for that? Or maybe yeah, that's a whole thing, a whole episode in itself. Yeah, it might be a whole episode in itself. I mean, I think I think there are lots of reasons for it. Certainly, if if we go back to what we were talking about earlier about paradigm shift, paradigms take a long time to change. Yeah. And and part of the reason is it's generational, right? Some of the people yeah. who have the old idea have to die off so that the new idea can have power. Um and and I don't know if that's what's happening here, but we had 20 years of science education, give or take, where you essentially either had a conceptual change model or your work was not getting published. Right. Um, so that that had a huge impact. And I think, um, you know, there there is a um, there is a, uh, an intuitive sense that this makes sense. Right. That that a misconception is a thing that we should you know. Oh, yeah. Sometimes I'm wrong. So that must. So let's call that a misconception, and then it sounds more impressive, and it sounds more meaningful, and um, so I think that's part of it too. Um, but I'm sure there there are lots of reasons around. So let's we'll, we'll come back to these that. ideas. Yeah, we'll come back to that because I think there's some more that we can unpack there because I think that's that's interesting because I think it gives us a better way of understanding some of the folks that we're going to be working with, and and you know also. You know, if you're a parent and you're listening, like there's a really good chance your your teachers, your kid's teacher is probably, you know, coming at it from this perspective. I mean, yeah. and maybe even what like what the generation before believed, you know, I mean, so we'll, we'll, we'll put that in. Uh, we'll yeah. put a pin in that and come back to it. So uh, do you have any joys? Do you have a joy? Do you have a joy? I have a joy. I have a, I have a big joy this week. Oh, do you? Um, Look I at do. you. A big yeah, joy. A big joy. So, um, so last week was my wife's birthday. Um, my wife, you may know her, Christine. And, yeah. uh, and she, um, so as a birthday gift, we went to see a show um, at the Meriwether Post Pavilion in Maryland. 
and we saw Brandy Carlisle, uh, the Indigo Girls, and Allison Russell um, as a triple bill. Really, it was Brandy Carlisle as as the headliner, um, and uh, it was spectacular. She she was amazing, like just unbelievable. Such, That's awesome. such a great performer, and um, she played like a two and a half hour set, um, like kept coming out and saying, look, I just don't want to leave yet played songs with the Indigo girls and with Alison Russell. And, um, and that, you know, Alison Russell and the Indigo girls were also great. It was like this, this really sort of three generation show because, um, you know, Indigo girls have been around, you know, forever ish. They're in their late fifties. Um, and they supported Brandy Carlisle as she was coming up. And then Brandy Carlisle is the big headliner. And then Allison Russell is this new and up and coming recent Grammy award winner. Um, but, you know, Brandy Carlisle is sort of bringing her along. And so there was this really nice multi-generational thing. But um, yeah, it's just like I saw I saw Brandy Carlisle. Christine and I saw Brandy Carlisle. Um, I think it was eight or nine years ago here in State College um, at at the tiny little state theater and it was the best live show I've ever seen. Um, this did not quite reach those heights because that the state Just, theater is such an intimate sure. venue. And, but that said, she was, a t- she was now a consummate show person, right? Like it, this was a show. This was not just music. It was, you know, beautifully organized and she did cover tunes, um, that were fantastic. She did, um, Major Tom uh, by David Bowie into Creep by Radiohead, which was an awesome. Oh, that's awesome. And just like she just, you know, she did a Joni Mitchell song because Joni Mitchell just played live for the first time in like, I don't know how many years recently. And and she was there for that. And I don't know. It was just fantastic. So that's um, awesome. Yeah. I know you're a huge live music guy. I am a huge live music fan. Um, yeah. so I, but if y'all don't know who Brandy Carlisle is, get out there. And like, I, I feel like this is, that's a late bandwagon. I think, you know, she's won yeah. Grammys like the last, I don't know, three been around years. for a bit. Yeah. She's been, she's been kicking it since 2006, but, um, but she is phenomenal. And if you have a chance to see her, I strongly recommend you do. So that's, a, that's an awesome recommendation. I'm, I'm a big fan of live music and I'm so happy it's back. And, you know, the, the crazy thing is that this past weekend uh, in our, you know, in the Harrisburg area, there were so many bands playing yeah. and so many different venues that you, like a person could have seen, I don't know, Rod Stewart, Rick Springfield, Men at Work, you know, lord huron or you know first aid kit or and i just could keep going and all be within like a 20 minute drive of each other it was wild you know the amount of live music that's out there right now it's just yeah yeah lord huron was headed to the merriweather um right after harrisburg so they're playing like sometime this week down there yeah yeah it was that was a great i saw them um this weekend but that's not my joy my joy is no um I've been I've been trying to read things that are a little deeper than my you know Ooh. my spy action novels. <laughs> gray man, yeah, my gray man. I mean, not to dismiss them, but they're mm. just you know, it's 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 like meringue. I like you get you, like I meringue. It, you you eat it, it's sweet, but then as soon as it dissolves, it's gone, and it's yeah. like so. Again, not knocking meringue, but you know, so yeah. I um. I've been trying to pick up things that are, are a little deeper and a little bit more, you know, 
impactful in terms of giving me stuff to think about. Um, and one of the books that uh, I came upon was a recommendation from, from my wife, um, The Midnight Library by Matt Haig. Hmm. And so um, this is so we've been talking a lot about, you know, multiversal type of things. Like we talked about how we really enjoyed everything everywhere all at once. And then we talked about, right. um, you know, the Doctor Strange multiverse of madness. This kind of is based on that same sort of concept. So what happens is a uh, uh, a person, a, you know, a character in the beginning um, of the book um, tries to commit suicide and and she mm. goes to purgatory, a purgatory state, which is a library in her, you know, mm. and in the library, she can open up the books of all of the lives she could have le- lived. And it all comes from the book of mm. regrets. The book of regrets is are the gr- regrets she has in her current life that, you know, I regret that I didn't join this band or I regret I didn't go on this trip or I regret I didn't go on this date or whatever. And so then she jumps into those lives and experiences what that life would have been like for her. Mm. And it is really, it's a, it's a, it's a deep read, but it's also a light read in that, you know, there's nothing like, you know really hard about the the reading it's like it's like light really like you're experiencing these things for through for this character and but i think that the thing i appreciate the most is that there's lots of philosophy built into it you know a lot of mm-hmm. philosophical you know underpinnings but also a lot of physics too because there's all this like string theory things and because that's Mm -hmm. where like i think a lot of these multiversal things come from is that you know there's these alternative realities alternative universes that are all happening simultaneously you know but i think that's where 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 it's come into popular fiction is you know things like this book like other books like you know these movies and that's what we're seeing is sort of like the you know fictionalized you know creations that come from that stuff right this book is awesome it's a great read it gives you a lot to think about it gives you a lot to like reflect about in terms of your own life um and how it presents regrets and how you deal with regrets and how you deal with all the possibilities and all the choices you could have made and didn't make it's great it is an awesome book i recommend it um yeah cool the midnight library matt haig matt haig yeah and thanks to my wife my lovely wife you may recommend it. Yeah. Tanya. Tanya. She's awesome. She's all right. She's all right. Yeah. So I don't know if that's the right answer, but it was a joyful answer. It was. Yeah. Yeah. It's all about joy. And this, it, this segment of the show. Yeah. Not, none of the show is about right answers. It's just yeah. more powerful explanations. Yeah. Well, I thought I'd just kind of like I know. swing it back around. That's what I, I tried. I'm, I'm agreeing with you. I'm, yeah. I'm joining you on the swing around there and saying. And next time, next episode the ultimate ultimate episode of season two of science in between and maybe we'll catch you then yeah we'll see you next time see that bye now